either welcome or welcome back to At Least There's a Dog, a Star Trek Enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the Star Trek series that, whatever its flaws, undeniably has the most dog. We are your hosts, Mandy and Josh, and on tonight's episode, we will be discussing episode six, The Andorian Incident. It's interesting. It is tonight's episode, and it's going to be tonight's episode no matter when you listen to this. It's true. You listen to this in the morning? Well, this morning is tonight. It is actually nighttime, but little secret, I'm going to call it tonight's episode even if it's like 7 in the morning when we do this, which it's never going to be because you don't wake up at 7 in the morning. All of this is because of the temporal cold war. That is, that is why all these uh, evenings or mornings and all these things. Okay, dear. This episode was fun. Yeah, no, this was a great episode. I I enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, so this was the Andorian incident. Yeah. Uh, if you don't remember the Andorians, you have seen them before in multiple other series. They are like bright blue and have antennae. I prefer the term dealy boppers. Okay. They're bright blue and have antennae. Yeah. Um, but I think this is the first Star Trek series where they actually, like, come into their own. Yeah. Did they have CG antennae in this? Like... No. Were those being... Oh, what oh, you they? don't know. Um, those... That's entirely practical effects. Those are motorized prosthetics that, um, they've got, like... So when, when Jeffrey Combs puts that on, he starts by putting a thing on top of his head. Uh, before they even put on like the the um, blue makeup, uh-huh. um, and this has got like wires in it connected to those antenna that go down his back uh, to a little remote control receiver, and there's a puppeteer off camera who is controlling them. I genuinely cannot tell whether you're screwing with me right now. I am not. That, that is 100% true. Are you true. for real not screwing with me? Yeah, that's for real. That is elaborate for like everything their antennae did. Like, I think there was one moment near the very end when like Jeffrey Combs's antennae kind of turned in towards each other, like mm-hmm. a dog tucks its tail between its legs. But besides that, they weren't all that expressive. Well, um, I... Think you may be able to gather from this? They'll be back. Oh, I hope so. They were fun. Yeah, no, they, I, they I, were much more fun than last week's not aliens. I think when they built the uh, antenna remote control setup, they were intending to use it in many episodes. I dig that. I hope they bring it back for like other species too. For huh? you know, like for you could do a lot of alien designs that involve stuff like that. Like you could move their ears around or have like. You know, you got this cool little tool. Why not use it? Yeah. I'm just saying. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you want to tell the audience uh, what happened in the episode? I sure do. So if you're curious what happened in this episode called the Andorian Incident, Captain Archer and Commander Tucker are feeling the need for a romantic weekend getaway. As their destination, they select Pajem, an extremely sacred Vulcan monastery, where the proper code of conduct dictates that they keep their mouths shut at all times, which is going to be tough because Trip has all the best lines in this episode. <laughs> Amazingly, though, that is not the source of the conflict. Archer, Tucker, and Subcommander Tapal head to the monastery, only to discover that it is under attack 
from the blue raspberry flavored Andorians, led by our favorite large Christmas ham, Jeffrey Combs. The Vulcans insist that they are running a peaceful and tech-free emotional detox group, but the Andorians insist that those crafty Vulcans are violating their non-aggression treaty and using this monastery to spy on them. Is the monastery hiding deep, dark secrets? Will the crew make it out of the hostage situation intact? Why have we never heard about Vulcan nasal numbers on any other Trek show before? The star of the show, Porthos, is presumably off licking his personal regions somewhere because, tragically, he is still not in this episode. But despite that, it's actually a good episode. To, to be fair, if you were going, like, I, I'm just picturing this scene. Like, like you know, you will, to Paul, you will have to, you know, follow the strict protocol, you know, you will not speak unless spoken to. You will not disturb any of the monks. You will not touch any of the reliquaries. Mm -hmm. You'll basically that, keep completely silent, touch nothing, and look at no one. Yeah, that sound, and then Archer's like, that sounds great. Um, mind if Porthos comes along? And like... <laughs> <laughs> Porthos would have been good. He Porth could have come with Reed. He could have come with the rescue team. He would have peed on all of the relics. Would that have been so terrible? I think that that's not... Like... They had already, like, <laughs> desecrated their own reliquary. So one, so one of the things about this episode, basically as soon as, like, they got there and the Andorians showed up, the Vulcans were like, they think we have long-range sensors hidden in here, but we don't because we don't believe in technology at this monastery. And we basically looked at each other and we're like, they 100% have long-range sensors here. Yeah. And it turned out that they did. But it's still actually a pretty interesting, like, even though we kind of saw that part coming, it was interesting because we didn't know who knew. Yeah, it wasn't clear whether, like, the entire Vulcan monastery knew or maybe just, like, the old guy who seemed to be in charge knew. For a little while, I thought that, like, the younger hot dude who seemed like he might be on their side for a bit maybe didn't know. But then he totally did. Yeah. No, what I was wondering is whether Paul knew. I wondered that for a little bit, too. And then I think I decided pretty early on that she didn't. Because why would she? Yeah, no, that's not... It's not the sort of thing you tell everyone. That's a clandestine sort of thing. Yeah, like this seems like the kind of thing that maybe was happening without the knowledge or approval of the Vulcan High Command. No, this is totally with the knowledge and approval of the Vulcan High Command. Really? Are they so Do you think into... a whole bunch of monks are just going to go rogue Dude. and build a high-tech like, super DEFCON listening facility? Dude, dude, you read Mechanical for Leibowitz. You know what monks are capable of. Yes. But... The Vulcans, like... I mean, yes, this is like an earlier time when everybody's a little bit dumber, but the Vulcans aren't generally into violating all their treaties. Like, they're not the Klingons or the Romulans. So that, that actually is a, a thing that I... I kind of wanted to to bring up. Okay. Um, throughout the show, like the Vulcans are like not totally good guys. Like they're not bad guys, but they're painted in shades of gray. Um, and it hasn't really bothered me. Maybe a little bit, but not too much that they're acting, you know, kind of out of character for what we expect from them. But 
it's really not that bad compared to how, for example, Starfleet acts on uh, Deep Space Nine and everything after that. Yeah. Yeah. Starfleet just gets worse, basically, with every jump forward in the timeline. Except kind no, of not Voyager. Even, not even every jump forward in, not, not every jump forward in the, the fictional timeline, but every jump forward in um, air date. Did DS9 air before or after Voyager? Before. So. Well, actually, the same like, time. Okay, because, like, in Voyager, like, Starfleet's not really there because they're in another part of the yeah. galaxy, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of focus on Starfleet secretly being super shady. Yeah, no, that, that, that wasn't their thing. But I think it's more like with every jump forward into peak TV, Starfleet gets shadier and shadier. Yeah, and, and on Enterprise, rather than making Starfleet shadier, it's the, the Vulcans that are a little bit shadier. Which, like, given the era that this takes place in, that's not without precedent. Because, like, by the time we get to the original series, the Vulcans are very clearly our friends. But in the episodes where, like, we see some of Vulcan culture, like where we meet Spock's parents, or where Spock gets really horny and has to go home and do the mating thing and the marriage thing, um, we're definitely meant to perceive Vulcan culture as weird and alien. So it makes sense that when we're first getting to know them, they would be even a little bit more alien. Yeah. You're writing something? Yes, I am. You okay. reminded me of something. Okay, we'll um, find out what it is later. Yep. We have many notes. Um, speaking of general Star Trek connections, uh, last episode was directed by LeVar Burton, and this week's episode was directed by another Star Trek uh, cast member, Roxanne Dawson. And I thought she did a great job. Yeah, she is not normally somebody... Like, I know she's directed some Trek episodes, and uh, she directed her first uh, her first movie not too long ago. But she's not someone that I generally think of as, like, one of the Trek directors. That's usually, like, Jonathan Frakes and LeVar Burton. But uh, I was super impressed yeah, it, with the direction in this episode. To a lesser extent, Robert Duncan McNeil. Um, yeah, he, he did, like... Did he do anything outside of Voyager, though? I'm actually not sure. Like, I think, I'm pretty sure, like, every cast member on Voyager, except for Garrett Wang, got to direct an episode. Because, <laughs> screw you, Harry Kim. That sounds about right. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> I guess we'll see uh, which Enterprise cast members, if any, eventually get to have a seat in the director's chair. Yeah. No, but, like, oh, oh I, Jonathan Frakes is, is obviously the, the big director to come out of mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek. But yeah, there was uh, there were some really cool shots. Like she made some great use of like medium tracking shots in the uh, scenes in the hostage room. And then there was one shot where we both kind of like had a moment. It was when uh, they're trying to like map out yeah, the yeah with the little little playing pieces. Yeah, they're trying and... to map out the catacombs with these little checkerboard pieces. And at one point. Uh, Trip is like, when I was down there, I saw this pattern of lights, and he kind of arranges a couple of the stones. In uh, the and pattern. I'm just thinking, like, yeah, these three stones. You saw three lights, you made a triangle. I guarantee you, three lights will always make a triangle. Oh, yeah. Unless they're all in a line. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but then the patterns on the little stones, as the cogs were turning in Captain Archer's brain, fade into the holes in this giant Vulcan face that's on the wall. Yeah, no, that, that, was, that was a really, really effective uh, show-don't-tell moment. Yeah, like, it was corny as hell, but it worked. 
There, there was also um, there were also some just very good transitions, mm-hmm. like cuts from uh, one scene to another, often involving um, Archer getting punched in the face. Yeah, there was a lot of Archer getting punched in the face this episode. Punched in the face, punched in the gut, punched in the back. Yep, he was. Yeah, he kind. Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was never bored during this episode either. It was no. really well paced. No, it was good. Yeah, so uh, congratulations, everybody who worked on this one. Uh, you done good. <clears throat> um, pluses and minuses time? Sure. Just So I've got some things that are both pluses and minuses. I, guess I got a couple can, of those. I too. can put them anywhere I want. Yeah, I got a couple that are like in the in between columns. You know too. what? Because this is a good episode and I have a whole bunch of pluses, I think I'm going to leave them as minuses. Okay, that's fair. Just got to balance it out. Um, I've got one in particular that I would not say is either... We'll get to it. Yeah. Pluses! Go for it. Okay. Um, I mean, I'll start out with something small. The uniforms that they're wearing, they have little pockets with zippers on their arms where they keep their communicators. Yeah, that's like super practical. Yeah. Like, these are, like, compare these to any other uniform from any Star Trek. Like, these are practical. The Star Trek uniforms have never been as good at being functional as they are on this show. Mm -hmm. Like, being the, like, unconditional lover of the original series that I am, I have great fondness for the pirate pants, but I would not call them practical, necessarily. Like, Mm -hmm. these are costumes that they bought at at the thrift store because the show had, like, a budget of $8.67 per episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're... The pirate pants look comfy. They do, but they but... look like pajamas. Yeah. And then TNG had the Picard maneuver. The TNG outfits look neither practical nor comfy. They look neat. Except Troy's, which looks <laughs> stupid. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that's kind of a thing that Star Trek does where like the men get to wear costumes that are neat and the women get to wear costumes that look stupid like poor T'Pol who is the only one on the show wandering around in a skin tight cat suit. Yeah, why? Like, no wonder she's cold. You won't let her wear real clothes. That was my thinking. What? Like, yeah. Okay, uh, you know, we'll go into Some the next logic. There, there was a cute scene where... Uh, Archer is, like, Paul and Archer are arguing over who gets the blanket, each of them trying to give it to the other one. Mm-hmm. And we're just both yelling at the TV, like, give it to Paul. She's, like, barely wearing anything. <laughs> um, and they end up sharing it for, like, a few Two minutes, minutes. <laughs> while they talk about things like how humans smell bad. <laughs> and Vulcans need to, and she has, like, some sort of, like, a, a nasal desensitizer. Yeah, this is something. Apparently Vulcans have to like wear nasal plugs so they can tolerate Scott Bakula's lack of deodorant. I, I assume it's like a drug that she snorts or something like that. Something like to, that. But dang, we know. never heard about this before. Like Spock never mentioned these. Not no. even to McCoy. I think, I think it's just her. It might just be her. And maybe Scott Bakula doesn't wear deodorant. Maybe, maybe they haven't invented deodorant yet. Maybe. It's a primitive time. Yeah. Um... One of my general... Oh, but uh, the important thing is that at the end of it, she rolls over and seals the blanket. It was great. <laughs> like, it was cute it's and It's a very not... familiar thing. 
Sure is. We're staring each other down right now. We sure are. We have to, we have to narrate this because people can't watch us while we're recording this. I feel like I'm being accused of something. I wonder why. And I would like my accuser to look in the mirror. <laughs> um, one of my general pluses for the episode was Jolene Blaylock. Mm. Um, I haven't really taken much note of her performance before. Like, she's very nice to look at. Like, even being a woman who is not generally into women, I recognize that she is very nice to look at. Um, but in this one, like, I thought she, uh, she pulled off some of the more, this is weird for a Vulcan, but she pulled off some of the more emotional moments really well. Like, at the very end, when she realizes that the Vulcans have been lying the entire time, and that she needs to give the Andorians the evidence that they've been breaking their treaty, um, she went through a couple of just, like, really subtle facial changes where you could kind of see T'Pol in conflict with herself and then realizing that she needed to do the right thing. And it was a nice moment for her, and it was kind of the cherry on top of a lot of nice moments that she had this episode. Yeah, yeah. She, I think she, she really... Actually, just while we're on pluses, she, she had a great episode where we got to see more of her character. Um, Malcolm Reed. Speaking of nice to look at. Okay. I still can't really tell him apart, except looking at the number of pips on the... Uh, he's got a British accent. I know the brown accent, hair. yeah. And if somebody's saying something funny, it's probably Trip. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Malcolm Reed, like, was in charge of the ship while the away party was down there. And, and he, Malcolm like... Reed has personality characteristics yeah. now. He's, like, paranoid. But that's, like, cool, because it's a personality character. Yeah, and he's, he's, like, the paranoid ship's stick in the mud who's, like, super obsessed with rules. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fits him. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, like, maybe he and T'Pol can kind of bond later over their mutual love of rules and procedures. Maybe they will. This is funny, though, considering that a couple of episodes ago, Malcolm Reed was the one who was like, I am tired of simulations and I want to shoot things. But that was Malcolm Reed of a couple episodes ago, and I like this Malcolm Reed better, so let's stick with this one. Yeah. Um, uh, The script. The script was great. It was really tight and snappy and had a lot of really funny one-liners. So, well done. Uh, Fred Decker was responsible for the teleplay, and he came up with the story along with Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, but I'm going to give most of the credit to him because it sounds like he actually wrote the thing down. So, Mm -hmm. good job. Good job, Fred Decker. Hope you come back. Yeah. Um, I was going to mention the, the Dealey Boppers as one of the pluses. Because, yeah, yeah they're darn cool. I, it's, it's funny because, like, I knew, like, that, you know, I remember from a zillion years ago, like, reading my Star Trek, the Star Trek Communicator magazine or whatever, um, reading about the, the Dealey Boppers uh, and how they were, like, motorized and how they were putting all this mm-hmm. technology to it. But, like, you can't stop looking at them. Yeah, no, they're... Any scene with an Andorian in it, just like, do I look at his face or at his antenna? They're a nice little touch on those characters, and I like, now that I know that they're basically just puppetry rather than... uh, CG? CG or an antenna or a a headband with antennae on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Really was mostly good stuff. Uh, I think that is... Wait, that's it for you? 
All right, I'm going to keep going then. That's all the specifics I had. Like, what I said covers a lot. So if you have more specifics, go for it. The show ended in a shootout in a reliquary. That is true. That was was fun. Like, they're, like, you know, I'm just looking at all these, like, wow, these are ancient. Oh, shoot, they just smashed that one. It's just, like, it's chaotic and fun. Yeah. The set decoration in that reliquary was also hilarious because it looked more like an abandoned antique store than a reliquary. Where do you think they got all their props? <laughs> was that like a rocking horse in there that I saw? Because <laughs> it looked like a rocking horse. It might have been. <laughs> I was hoping for like a statue of the, the, the great sacred Salot or something like that. But That would have been alas, cool. I don't think they had the budget for that. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, uh, there was a... So I was getting worried. Because rescue team is going down. Mm-hmm. We've got Malcolm Reed and a pair of red shirts. Red shoulders. Well, yeah, red shoulders. But you know what it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to use the transporter. And that is scary. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Is one of these going to... Are they going to die? Turns out, no. Like, this is one uh, resilient red shirt. He, sur- like, he not only survived being transported to the surface... He got shot in the firefight and didn't die. That's true. The Enterprise, possibly because it has a small crew, seems to consider its crew way less expendable than some of the other Star Trek shows yeah. have. <clears throat> um, a thing that I noted that is neither in my pluses or minuses, but is just a general beef that I have with the show right now. Just once, I would like to see the transporter actually malfunction and be dangerous. <laughs> like, nobody has to die. But let's just, like, I don't know, see, let's see, like, Trip come back with from an away mission with, like, his eyebrows on his toes or something. I guess we'll wait and see what happens. The show seems to like torturing Trip, so mm-hmm. that's just why I picked him. Just, they're very, they're all very nervous around the transporter, and it's because, like, they don't really get it yet, and we see some of that carry over to the original series. But so far, we've seen it work flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Didn't it, did they have a malfunction in the first episode with non-human stuff? They might have. Or did they just mean the wrong thing? I don't remember. I think they, like, I think something didn't go 100% perfectly with the transporter, I think, but it wasn't anything that, Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty fine. We know it's going to be fine. We've seen other Star Trek. It is, but just, like, I, you know, it's new technology. I'd like to see it actually, like, do something goofy at one point. Doesn't have to hurt or kill anybody. Just like, again, have it do something goofy. Could it perhaps... Sorry, the, the dog is making sounds. The dog snored. Um, could it perhaps, like, combine two crew members into one? Like, maybe Malcolm Reed and Trip Tucker will beam up at the same time and come back and they'll be just one mucker. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and everybody will be like, oh, hey, Malcolm. Hey, Trip. Yeah, no one will notice. <laughs> They still look the same. <laughs> Shout out to Tubix. That was a really good episode. <laughs> that would, yeah. Oh, boy. It, uh, yeah. So, uh, but this is not a Voyager podcast. No, it's not. Uh, more pluses. Uh, there was a point where one of the Andorians started flirting with T'Pol. And, and he's like, I've read up on Vulcan mating practices. <laughs> I understand you make your men fight to the death. Would you like me to kill someone? And then Archer's like, leave her alone. And then he's like, 
Would you like me to kill him? <laughs> and was just so this great. was another great Jolene Blaylock moment because for just a moment I thought she was considering his offer. <laughs> yeah, this episode was funny as hell. Like that was one of it reminded me tonally in a lot of ways of the uh, the gangster episode from the original series, hmm. um, a piece of the action I believe it is called. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a very good thing to be reminded of. Um, another plus that I don't have written down, but that I'm going to bring up anyway, is that it is always so good to see Jeffrey Combs as an alien mm-hmm. on Star Trek, and this this time is no different. Well, I think you just took my last uh, plus that I Sorry. had written down. No, 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 it's fine. We got to share the share the, the the goods. Okay. Anyway, I I'm ready for the minuses if you yeah, are. Yeah, my minuses are mostly nitpicks, honestly. Uh-huh. Um, the biggest minus that I have was that there were some weird tone issues. Uh-huh. For the most part, I thought they navigated the balance between comedy and tension pretty well. But there were a couple of times when Archer was getting the crap kicked out of him and I was still laughing, where I'm not sure I was supposed to be laughing at that moment. I don't know. I think I think there was some intention to make that funny. Like, that scene where he was provoking them mm-hmm. was clearly supposed to be funny and we were supposed to be laughing while he got the crap kicked out of him. But the first scene where they're, like, beating him up and demanding to know where mm-hmm. the long-range sensor is... Um, and he keeps insisting that he doesn't know. I wasn't sure that was supposed to be funny, and it was. So there were a couple of times where the tone got, like, not even bad, but wonky. Okay. Um, so I'll actually start with my biggest criticism, which is 100% a nitpick. So one of the plot points which led to that scene that you were just describing is that uh, they get this you know, brainstorm over those uh, three, like, lit up holes in the wall that they saw. Mm-hmm. And so they decide that the way to test this is to have uh, have Archer go get himself beat up so that he <laughs> can drop a little action figure down through one of the holes in that Vulcan face in the atrium. Uh, and then later... Um, uh, Tucker. Tucker can go check to see if he fell through. And why? Why did they do that? You could have just gone to the to the rear side and looked through a hole. Yeah, or like... Or listened. Yeah, listened, or like if they had to, Trip could have like stuck his fingers through and wiggled them around. Yeah, there, there was... There was no need for Archer to go get beaten up. It was funny, though. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was silly, but, like, it was completely unnecessary. Yeah. It was. That's true. Yeah. But that's the kind of criticism I'm going to be making here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next one, it, I mean, like, no Porthos is an obvious one, but, like, you know, they would have had to shoehorn him in, so I understand it. The star of the show needs his rest. Um, however, Mayweather is still a prop. Yeah, he didn't really have much to and, do. Like, he had, like, one <clears throat> line, and he smiled while he was delivering it because he loves being on TV that much. Um, and, like, I don't know. I'm really hankering for a Mayweather episode because they gave him an interesting backstory, and so far, in six episodes, I guess seven if you count the pilot divided into two, they've had him do basically nothing. We'll get there, I think. I, I mean, he, so. he sat upside down for a while. 
in the first episode. Yeah. He's done nothing. And he told a great, great ghost story. Oh, did he tell that story? He told the ghost story. Okay, that's true. He hasn't done nothing, nothing. But he's <laughs> he's been underutilized to agree that none of to a degree that none of the other main cast have. Okay. Back in the pluses, that was a very charming scene between Flocks and T'Pol. I here's the funny thing. I'm going to put that in the minuses. Really? No, it was I. It was a very charming scene. So this is early on in the episode, and. Flocks and T'Pol are having lunch? meal, lunch, dinner. It doesn't matter. The temporal cold war means that you can have breakfast for dinner. You can have dinner for breakfast. You can eat anything you want, anytime. Elevensies. Yeah, elevensies. Um, so, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, they, they, they're talking. And as you would expect, Flocks is being a lot more talkative than T'Pol is. He's like, why aren't you, you know, excited to go introduce the Vulcans to your new crewmates? And then, you know, she has a look and he's like, oh, I see. Um, and like, this was, it was good. But I, I guess I was kind of hoping that they would bond over the fact that they are the two aliens on board. He did say that, like, sometimes he feels weird. Yeah, being... but, like, only barely. Like, but the he's thing is, I think more or he's... less cool with uh, being there, and he just kept talking. And I was just, like, waiting. Are, Paul, are you going to, like, join in, or are you just going to listen to him? That's the thing, though. He's basically comfortable with them. And this is not the first scene like this that they've had together. And I think that sooner or later she might open up to him, but maybe not yet. Yeah, no, like, I, I like that scene, but because I had too many pluses, you know, I wanted it to be a little bit better. Heaven forbid we should just be nice. Mm -hmm. No, okay, that's fair. You, you got anything else? Uh, no, that's kind of it. Like, it was really kind of a good episode. Yeah, no, it was fun. Um, I guess... Uh, Kirk Award? Well, Kirk Award. So Kirk Award will cover another kind of not really minus, but like, I guess, point against a particular character. So the Kirk Award. Every episode, we bestow the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character or characters who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. And this week, there was some competition for the Kirk Award. Yeah. Um, nominees for the Kirk Award included Captain Archer, Malcolm Reed. That was my nomination. Mine, mine was Archer because... You know, it, there was a one point where one of the Andorians was speculating, maybe he enjoys pain. Yeah. Kept... And no, he had a couple of very Kirk-like scenes, and for a while I thought he was going to edge it out. But the thing is, Kirk would have figured out way sooner in that situation that he needed to start lying. Yeah. Archer just keeps insisting, I don't know where the sensor is, punch. I don't know where the sensor is, punch. I don't know where the sensor is, punch with a gun. It's like, dude, this is clearly getting you nowhere. Start Kirk gambiting. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't do it. So, sorry, dude, you don't get it this week. Instead, this the, week, the winner of this week's Kirk Award is the Andorians. Yeah. They were, they were doing some combat techniques right out of the William Shatner 
Kirk Punch Handbook. Yes, one of them. I don't think it was Jeffrey Combs. It was one of the other Andorians, but one of them, Kirk Punch Scott Bakula with a gun. And yep. that is the ultimate Kirk Punch. So congratulations, Andorians. You are this week's Kirk Award winners. I guess this episode's Kirk Award winners since we don't actually do this on a weekly basis. I'm trying to do about two a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, don't hold us to that, though. Yeah, if if we if we think we can actually be held to that, we'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the time being, anything we have left out? Or Not that we... I can think of, but uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. I'm looking forward, if any of you out there want to let us know what you thought, you know how to reach us. You do. Uh, what's our Gmail address again? At least there's a dog at gmail.com. Nice and easy. Title of the podcast at mostpopularemailclient.com. No apostrophe, please. I don't even know what would happen if you put an apostrophe into an email address. The internet will probably explode, which might be better for all of us, but, you know, Mm -hmm. don't mess with the universe that way. Anyway, thank you, as always, for listening, and if you did enjoy this, please tell your friends and family to join the crew. You can find us on TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, and lots of other platforms, though not Apple Podcasts yet. We're hoping that'll change soon. Um, And if you would like to tell us how we have brightened your day, please shoot us an email at the address we mentioned before. Take care of yourselves. Until next time, remember to go wherever your heart will take you. Bye. Bye.